Karina Sephora is a multidisciplinary artist who primarily works as a sculptor and metal worker. In this conversation, we discuss the early support she received as an artist in her family, some of the major themes of her work, and her big ideas for the future. This is Arts and Ideas, and I'm Floyd Hall. Funding for this program is provided by the Fulton County Board of Commissioners. I'm Floyd Hall, and today I have the pleasure of speaking with visual artist, metal worker, thinker, teacher, um, among many things, uh, Karina Sephora. Karina, how are you doing? I'm doing fabulous. Thank you. I'm glad to have some time with you, Karina. Um, and I always enjoy talking with you about art and your art practice. Um, but for our listeners out there who may not know, um, beyond being a metal worker, you know, you're, you're a legit blacksmith. Um, how, how did you get started working with metal? And can you even take us back to your first metal work? Sure, sure. So how I got back, and I like how you said that, legit blacksmith. <laughs> I, I think of myself as a sculptor, and I, I am trained as a blacksmith, and I, I sought that training out. Um, so if I go back in history, all right, so how I got into um, blacksmithing is from my dad. And, uh, you know, my dad was trained um, at Yale in theater and set design. But he, through a series of different circumstances, started creating the interiors of restaurants, macrobiotic restaurants with Michikushi, Michikushi, met my mom, re-met my mom, moved to Boston, then moved to New Hampshire from, from New York, and was committed to growing organic vegetables, and um, started a farm called Air One Farm. So that's kind of like this gives you the setting. And he was all about like living off the land and like building whatever we needed pretty much out of wood. And, and he did that with a stage set, you know, like building stage sets, like that was his education on how to build. So I just like to give that background. And so he was an inventor also. And so we, he was inventing this sawmill that was powered by the engine of a car. And so at age five, I learned how to weld. And so I still remember like we had a dirt floor garage and, um, you know, I would go and help him build stuff, whatever he was going to do. And I would mostly hold things or if I got in the way, he would have me sort the nuts and bolts. And I was always encouraged to be an artist. You know, my, my family, especially my dad, he would say, Karina, you can do whatever you want as long as you set your mind to it. So I always took art classes. I went to a school where we created art. And then in high school, um, I took a jewelry making class and there was something for me about making a drawing and then bending the metal and hammering the metal and then soldering the metal where it was sort of like, it kind of went back to that first, you know, young, young years of being around welding. And then also it was um, like, wow, I, I make things out of clay and my cat knocks it off the shelf and it's broken. You know, I spent hours and hours making things. So, you know, it kind of gave me a space 
to make something that had some permanence to it. And so I would say at probably about age 14 or 15, I was pretty sure that I wanted to continue with metalwork. And um, I looked for a college that had as many different um, metalworking facilities as possible. And I went to Massachusetts College of Art in Boston. And I was able to do metalsmithing and sculpture, welding, foundry. And that's where I first started doing blacksmithing, actually at Haystack School in Maine. We would go there for like a <clears throat> an alumni and and student retreat. Every I mean now they now they have an alumni retreat, but back then as a student we would go for like a weekend. And Haystack, if you don't know what Haystack is, it's it's like a beautiful quintessential art camp for adults, and it's along the waters along the the ocean um, in in Maine, um, and it's just beautiful. So that was the first time, and that was 1991, fall of 1991, and I was about 19. And that's when I first started doing blacksmithing. And in that moment, I was like, kind of like that same moment when I made the jewelry piece. I was like, wow, I love this material. And I love the fluidity once you heat up the steel, how it's able to move and bend and form. And I always saw myself as someone who would build sculptures. And, um, you know, in my lifetime, I've made architectural work, um, kind of as a means to an end to be able to, you know, set up my studio with all the equipment that's needed and whatnot. Um, but always saw that I would be a sculptor. And at this point in my life, I, um, I, uh, I've been doing a lot of large scale public sculptures, which have been really fun challenges. Um, and I, I just won an award to create a piece outside of the city of Chicago. That's kind of fun because it's kind of a further reach, you know, and my vision of being an artist, that's like national and international. I'm like, wow, okay, well, we're moving national instead of local <laughs> and regional. Well, say more about that support, or I guess that, that sense of agency that you got from your father, or probably both of your parents. I'm sure yeah. that that you could be an artist, that that was something that you, you know, we're we're going to be supported to to pursue. Talk about just what that what that feels like because what I hear sometimes is that lots of times in in families, you know, the the artist doesn't always feel supported to be an artist, or there's always something mm -hmm. else tugging at them. Maybe it's mm -hmm. family expectations about other things, but it feels like for you, you got that support very early on to dive in and pursue. Um, but also work very hard, obviously, at it. Mm -hmm. But um, what was it like for you uh, to know that you had people who were, were pulling for you um, and who were pushing you in some ways to to be what you ultimately became, which is an artist? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, this is a really great question, and I, and I love it. And it's very fresh in my mind, you know, this saying, you can do whatever you want. Um, it's kind of funny sort of side story. And then I'll fully answer your question. But I, I was a, a visiting artist for an elementary school on Zoom, teaching them blacksmithing lessons the other day. <laughs> and this incorporated, you know, like kindergarten kids. And um, I think we went all the way up to first graders, right? But that was the oldest. And I, and I kind of taught them that motto. I realized in the first two groups, they were just sort of sitting there. And I was like, God, how strange it must be to see someone doing this stuff on their screen, right? So I interacted with them more as the day went on. And uh, so I kind of taught them that motto um, and I had them repeat it back to me <laughs> because I realized it really has been like my driving force, you know, 
And so what that looked like as a kid, you know, I mentioned, you know, my, my parents were very bohemian, you know, they were kind of at the cutting edge, you know, starting organic farms way back in the you know 60s and 70s. And, but they had that kind of flair of the New York city, you know, as well as having farmland in New Hampshire. And, uh, and we would grew pretty much all of our own food. And there were always a lot of building materials around on the property. And the smallest piece of property, we had a collective farm with other people, two different collective farms that we lived on, which meant lots of fun kids to play with and cousins and things. And then we had a property that was about a half a mile away that was, um, you know, our nuclear family. And, um, you know, like my dad, I can remember the day that he designed the house that we built on that 42 acres. And he explained to me what a blueprint is and you know how to do a scale drawing and that's all what he learned in being in theater and so i would ask him questions and he would just answer over and over again and then he would include me in whatever it is that he was doing you know building so because we had then we started building this house you know like dug the basement out you know we didn't just he designed it and then he also built it with his friends (laughs) and um, not like he'd ever built he built a tiny house before that you know before tiny houses were cool but I, I was born in a little tiny, tiny house and um, on a farm. But uh, what that looked like was we had all these building materials and I built forts. My sister reminded me of this recently. I had one of those Zoom birthday parties and she, people were talking about memories and she reminded me of all the fort building. I think I had about five different forts on our property. So I was building spaces to hang out in and, you know, whatnot. And we'd show them off to the family. Um, for birthdays, I would always get like a little toolbox, you know, I can remember getting this sort of like cobalt blue sparkly toolbox with a ruler and a hammer and, you know, one of those little wooden rulers and maybe one of those fold out rulers and a hammer and some hardware and, you know, like that was a fun gift, you know. So I was always encouraged to work with tools and support it, but, you know, also my painting and drawing. And, uh, you know, we would go, we, we grew most of our own food, but we'd go out to restaurants every once in a while. And there was one that we'd always go to and they'd always like, we'd walk in and they'd get us like a pile of placemats, paper placemats. And my sister and I would sit down and draw. I'd order a shrimp cocktail and a um, Shirley Temple. That was my, that was my starter. And then we'd start drawing on the, um, on the um, mat and, you know, I don't know that they framed them, but we were always encouraged as, you know, really little kids, you know, to be creative. We'd make our own Christmas decorations. And then as I got older, I remember I started, um, we went to a school that was called Waldorf, which is very creative. It's a lot of philosophy. You know, Rudolf Steiner was the philosopher. He was very good friends with Joseph Boyce. And, you know, Joseph Boyce was like, everybody's an artist. Everyone's an artist. Everyone's an artist. And so there was a lot of that creativity that was embedded in the school you know day to day um i can remember when we built the house my dad said now karina northern light is the best light for an artist to draw by and so he put a skylight in so that i'd have a space to draw that had northern light and i was only in like second grade you know so it it was like i just grew up that i was an artist and um and my parents were also really big inside of that generation of kind of breaking down the role models of like what men do and what women do. And, you know, I leaned more towards working with tools 
although I did a lot of fibers work in elementary school too. Um, I'm bouncing around a little bit, but, and then I went to public junior high and public high school. So I went to a private school with the Wilder school and everything was always art, art creating, you know, we, we learned, you know, technical things as well, but a lot of creativity plays and we'd go to a sheep farm and shear the sheep and spin the wool and dye the, dye the wool and, you know, make it into yarn and then weave with it and crochet with it. And we'd learn about math and counting and measuring through creating. Um, but when I went to public school, I started to take art classes in a little bit more serious way. And, um, and I remember my dad as a gift, I think maybe like a birthday gift, he bought me art classes with like an outside professional artist. And um, it was with that, I don't know if you've ever seen that book, Drawing on the Right Side of the Brain. And it gets you to like look at the negative space of something that you're drawing instead of just the object. And you know you do standard things like still lifes. But so he he thought that it would be good for me to have some more you know like technical things under my belt. And in high school, my art teacher started submitting my. Um, I did a lot of printmaking and embossing. And uh, my my teacher would encourage me to. He'd help me photograph everything, and he'd encourage me to submit them for these awards. Um, the Boston Globe Scholastic Art Awards. And I'll never forget, there was this print. I still have a copy of the print. Um, but it was this it was this magical lady of the forest. And um, it had this bird on her arm, which is funny because I've been in Hawaii, like holding this bird on my arm. <laughs> anyway, so it was this really beautiful print. Like I look at it now and I think like, God, I really like thought things through back then. And um I was always in the art room. Anyway, so they submitted that and a number of other pieces, my drawings. And um, I'll never forget, it was like three hours driving all the way to Boston. And then we got into this big, you know, large, you know, almost like auditorium. There was many, many rooms. I don't know what the building was, but it was some city hall or something in Boston. And, you know, we lived in rural New Hampshire. So we drove into the city and I was with my dad and stepmom. And I remember going through and we were like, looking for my piece and there was like the sea of all this artwork you know and it was like the bigger you know as a high school kid I was like wow it's a lot of artists from all over and we were looking for my pieces and um, found them and my stepmother was like you have a blue ribbon you got like this best in show award you know so that was kind of like the beginning of wow what does that look like to have you know public acclaim for you know studiously working in my in the art room <laughs> which was like my studio so I was definitely encouraged. And then, you know, as high school went on, you know, there were some things that were happening with our family life. Um, my dad and stepmom were getting a separation and there was, there was a lot of what I'll just call it like upheaval. Um, but I remember in the midst of all that, my dad brought me to this uh, portfolio, it was a portfolio review. So like, an, and it was live, it was in person. And um, so there it was like, all these different colleges had people there and you could come and bring your portfolio and show them your work. And they, so I got accepted to five, my dad brought me and we, again, we went to Boston. I got accepted to like five different colleges um, based on my portfolio. And they're like, okay, just send your SAT scores. And, you know, we'd like you to come, come to school here. So that was kind of fun. And um, then it was like, well, which school do I want to go to? My dad wanted me to go to RISD. Um, you know, he went to Yale and he was like, you know, RISD is the best art school. And I remember sitting at the kitchen table, you know, filling out the applications and I was at the RISD one and I was like, they wanted you to draw a shoe. <laughs> I don't know what was bothering me so much about it, but I felt like, 
you know, there's a classical way of learning art, you know, and I was worried that I was going to be in some really confined environment where I was going to like, I said to my dad, I was like, listen, if they want me to draw a shoe before I'm even a student, what are they going to make me do once I get there? (laughs) So, you know, sometimes I look back and I think, Karina, you shouldn't have been so stubborn. You should have just sent the application in and gone for a visit, you know, but um, anyway, so I selected Massachusetts College of Art in Boston, and I went for a visit, a tour, and the person who gave me the tour, Shauna Quick, she ended up becoming one of my best friends. She's a really, really cool human being, and um, she had a twin brother. Our birthdays were in the same month, and, uh, you know, she was just a really interesting person, and I liked everyone that I met there. And so we went on this tour and I was like, wow, they have sculpture and they have foundry and they have a big welding studio and that's glass blowing and they have, um, you know, jewelry making and metal smithing, you know, they had like everything and they had printmaking and painting, you know, all, all, all the stuff. So I chose that school and I really didn't give a, a second thought to some of the other possibilities, but I did just make that choice. And Shauna ended up becoming one of my best friends throughout college. And, you know, we, we shared a house together and with another friend and it was, it was great. have such a rich and fertile just art foundation um yeah that as as your foundation um what i really want to get to is is fast forward fast forwarding to now and with you know printmaking and sculpture and and drawing and painting all the things that you that you do that you incorporate into your work what i'm i'm wondering now for you is how do you process the the big ideas for your work you know like what's what's rattling around in your brain these days like what are what are the ideas that either come out of the combinations of things that you've done in the past or just things that you imagine for the future like what's you know what's in front of you that you're working towards or that you're looking forward to in the future well let's see the things that you know i i, I have a specialty as a blacksmith and metal sculptor, as you mentioned. That being said, I also, you know, have a background in painting and printmaking, and I um, I love working in um, in in those mediums as well. And so I've been playing over the last couple of years at really, for lack of better words, almost like defining defining like the style of work that. I like doing that also I feel communicates my ideas. And so I, the last show that I, I just took down literally yesterday was called dreamscape. And I've been striving for this space that's not necessarily a landscape per se, but, um, but has qualities of a landscape, but is heavy in like the imagination. So very like otherworldly, or um, there's, a, there's a term that, I, that I've been using that's like not at the front of my brain right now, kind of atmospheric 
Um, so I've been very, you know, for, for about a year, I worked with all these images that had to do with the cosmos and um, I was thinking of the afterlife and very lunar and those came sort of shortly after my mother passed away. And then throughout COVID, you know, so many things that myself and many other people, you know, enjoy doing aren't happening anymore. And so I needed to create something that I looked forward to. You know, it used to be like you say, well, it's Friday and it doesn't feel like a Friday. You know, I used to look forward to like how many art openings can I go to in one night and how many friends will I run into and how many new people, you know what I mean? Like, not like I, not like it was a problem to solve, but you know what I mean? Like that was something that I looked forward to was socializing and in groups and meeting people and interacting. And um, at any rate, so, you know, I've been exercising, you know, I say I'm a social hermit and I've been exercising the hermit side of me. And for that, I've been spending a lot more time in nature. And back to what do I look forward to? I started last, I guess last March, either February or March, with a really good friend of mine that was a hiking buddy. Um, we started going to watch the sunrise, like climbing a mountain and watching the sunrise. And it was beautiful. And there was something about the experience of watching that sunrise that, you know, not to be cheesy or hokey or whatever like it just gave me something to look forward to like wow what's the next sunrise going to be like and um at this point I think I've gone over 40 times to watch the sunrise and uh so that's influenced my work and what I've been striving for with that is how to cultivate and how to kind of capture the essence of that intensity and that beauty and that change that happens with the quality of the light without specifically creating a landscape painting. Does that make sense? <laughs> so that's, that's something that I've really been playing with. And, and it's funny because my last sunrise I saw from the air when I was flying back from Hawaii um, at a morning flight from LA. And uh and so there was something interesting for me about watching the sunrise from the sky, from a new vantage point. So that's definitely been influential um, in creating like ha new habits or new rituals or, you know, new ways of being to adapt and adjust to the current state of affairs um, inside society. And um, so that's one, one thing that I've been focused on. And then, you know, it's like I, I had a studio visit with a I, I look around sometimes at my peers and I think like, who's really rocking? Who's making things happen? And and what, do, what let's have a dialogue about what I'm up to. So I had a conversation with Paul Benjamin a couple months ago. And um, and, and I just had him come and visit my studio and kind of give me some feedback about work that he thought was strong and um. You know, so we started looking at different things. And, um, and so anyway, there was one piece, and I, I need to give him a shout out, actually. I just posted a picture on Instagram um, from my show, the Dreamscape show. But I, I started looking at my own rituals, right, and my own kind of habits, daily habits, and, you know, my own way of kind of, well, what I started thinking about was how do I create my own rituals and my own prayers and like that. And uh, a little tiny bit more background, I, my family has pretty much always been involved with different Native American um, uh, medicine families, one from the Lakota Sioux. And so I, I grew up doing sweat lodges and 
different ceremonies that don't always come off the reservation. And um, we worked with, uh, they built lodges on our property. And then, um, and so there's uh, something, a, a ritual that you do inside of the, 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 the sweat lodge where you create, or any other, um, any other ritual. Um, we did five, six healing ceremonies and various other, other ones. So you would uh, take a little pinch of tobacco and you would make a prayer tie. And I think you could almost, like, you know how people use a rosary bead or something like that, where you kind of like saying whatever your, your prayer is. And so that's essentially what you do with this prayer tie. And so I started creating these um, pieces where I would use, I'm a big tea drinker. I'm drinking tea right now. I'm a big tea drinker. So I always have these tea bags hanging around. And I had seen a piece that an artist friend of mine made maybe 25 years ago. And she would have all these collaged parts, you know, mixed media parts. And there were these tea bags that were spray painted. And so I started incorporating those. And in, when, in that show that I had at Mason Fine Art um, a couple of years ago, I had one piece and I had all those stitched in. So back to Paul, um, Paul Benjamin, he was like, he was asking me about that. And it's like a piece that's very much about kind of generating, cultivating these prayers, right? And that sort of spiritual side. And I think I don't always have that, you know, historically, I don't always have that at the forefront of my work. You know, I work very symbolically with certain images you know boats and ladders and trees and um birds and oars and and they all have different symbolic meaning but i hadn't really delved too deep into this other aspect of my spirituality and um kind of prayer and ritual so long story short that i i just created a piece with that where i made this boat form and it had all of these tea bags and then also fork sticks so i'm kind of creating a language with these objects, um, incorporating some new objects into my work. And uh, in that piece, actually, I, I had a, a residency at um, Hambridge Center. So I've been saving my tea bags and painting my tea bags and saving my tea bags and painting my tea bags. And I brought a big bundle of them with me to the residency. And I brought a little bit of metal um, and a forge and, you know, there I am. And, and I was there and it was like, you know, like a week or two after, you know, George Floyd had been murdered and it was a lot happening out there in the world with really like upfront conversations about, you know, racism in our country and kind of, you know, that's a topic that's been on my mind for a long time. You know, when I learned about the civil rights movement in high school, I I started a sit-in <laughs> at my high school <laughs> because New Hampshire was one of the last places to observe Martin Luther King Day as a holiday, not because of racist reasons I found out later on, but because of something a little bit different. Um, but I realized like, you know, and I think to date one of the biggest pieces, one of the, one of the pieces I'm most proud of is the piece that I made for the Martin Luther King Historic Center, you know? So anyhow, back to where I was up there in the mountains, of North Georgia, it really felt like a time of listening, like listening to what people had to say. And um, specifically, you know, really listening to people of color, like, well, what, 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 what do I have to say, as opposed to what do you say about what I need to say? And so I was in this space of listening, but also really having a lot of thoughts and feelings and emotions and, you know, wanted to 
to be proactive. And so that really came out in more like a space of prayer and meditation. And so that's, that's a very recent piece, but you wouldn't look at that piece and think that it has anything to do with that. <laughs> but I, I, I gave some talks at the Mary Bird Gallery. And so I was speaking and I was thinking like, well, it's kind of interesting for people to look at this piece. And, you know, I think as an artist, I have a lot of intentionality when I'm creating work. And sometimes I want that imagery and symbolism to be such that the viewer knows exactly what I'm talking about. And then sometimes I want it to be like, I'm, I'm having a conversation and you can include yourself in that conversation coming from whoever you are and wherever you are, you know, leaving some ambiguity in there. Well, given the different themes of your work, given the the different types of work that you create, whether it be your metal sculptures, whether it be even back into your your printmaking background, whether it it be uh, painting, just whatever you're you're working on and whatever is influencing you or inspiring you. Last question: What makes you say yes to a project or to an idea? What makes you say yes? Hmm. I love that you say that. Um, as, you know, as an artist, you know, we all come up with our own distinctions around what success means. And for me, something that I've created in my lifetime as an artist, that there's something around success in being invited to do something, invited to have an exhibition, invited to compete for a project, invited, right? So there's something invited to have an article or a podcast, right? You know, there's something in the realm of being known and um, like there being some type of demand for me to share who I am and what I do that I, that has me say yes. And when I say like a demand, like I think about Basquiat, you know, at one time in, in his life, he had to produce, you know, upwards of eight, eight large-scale paintings a week to supply the demand you know I haven't quite created that demand at that rate in my life right as of yet and uh and nor I'm not sure that I want to either right but um but so that's one thing that has me say yes is being invited I usually consider you know well what is it I'm being invited to you know um that's one thing. And then, you know, with commissions, like I mentioned, I have this one outside of Chicago, you know, I, I have a vision of my, my life as an artist of having my work nationally and internationally. Um, and so, you know, it's like exciting and scary to have work. Like I have different logistics, like transporting work all the way to Chicago, you know, that's a whole other aspect. Um, so that has me, yes, as a challenge, you know, and I shared with the mayor and the arts council, I said, you know, there's something about this project for me that I am stretching myself. And that's part of my vision, right, in my lifetime as an artist that, that has me say yes. And then, um, you know, I've been invited to be in a, a museum show this year, and I'm, I'm always a yes 
to any invitations for museum exhibitions because there's something that's available inside the space of a museum, you know, where it's really open and it's open to the public in a particular way. I got invited to show at a, a new gallery this year, Spalding Nick's Gallery, and um, it was after a studio visit. And, you know, I really, I, I, I really like the artists that they show. I like the talks that he gives. I like that he shows women artists. So it's something about, like, who the person is that's inviting me, that has me say yes. And then, you know, Andy Warhol says one of the marks of the success of an artist is that they make a living, right? And that they're financially, you know, you know, doing well. And he was a great example of that. And so, you know, I'm a big believer of artists being paid and I'm a big believer of, of artists, you know, making a good living and thriving and the people around them thriving. So, you know, sometimes I'm financially driven, you know, there's a, a project that I'm competing for and you know, there's certain constraints inside of it that are, you know, not as creative as I'd like, but there's a pretty, you know, it's like over $25,000, you know, so I'm like, okay, that, that could be a great aspect to forward other things that I'm up to. Um, so sometimes there's financial. And then another thing that has me say yes is really like, who are the people that I'm going to be working with? You know, like right now, um, I think I've done five different visiting artist programs at universities and most recently in elementary school since COVID via Zoom. And I really do see, and, I, and as I'm saying this out loud, I really encourage other artists to seek out these opportunities because I just think about and imagine what it would be like to have that experience of being in college or being in high school or being in you know, elementary school and having everything be on the computer, right? And it must get a little, I don't know what it would be like, but I know I have something to say, you know, whether it's to talk to a bunch of first graders and say, you can do whatever you want as long as you set your mind to it, you know? So something that has me say yes is forwarding a conversation for the people that I will be with. Um, there are certain things that I'm really a yes to, you know, like I have certain dreams and goals. Like I've always wanted to be in the Whitney Biennial and I've always wanted to be in the Venice Biennale. And uh, so I recently shared that with someone, a curator, and she, we're planning to go to the 2022 Venice Biennale. And she's like, there's a lot of places that you can have your art exhibited. And it's like, I never would have known that if I didn't say it out loud. <laughs> and that came from, I have a course that I teach um, for artists that, I'm, that I need to get my next, um, um, my, my next year's um, sessions out, but it's called Big Vision. And it's about, you know, creating your big vision of who you are as an artist. And so I was doing my own homework that I had the participants doing. And that's like sharing with other people, you know, what is your big vision in life? And one of them is I've always wanted to be a part of the Venice Biennale. And who knew that over lunch with the curator, I'd have an invitation. <laughs> I love that. Um, well, I'm so glad we had some time this time to to talk and to share and i just appreciate you and all of your work and really your perspective on your work i think that's really what's always of interest to me i love talking with you about your work and just kind of how you are moving through these different moments and so um thank you oh you're so welcome i realized there was one thing i didn't answer that you asked me which is okay. what do i have coming up in the future and um, one thing that I have coming up in the future is I have a solo exhibition at the Spalding Nicks Gallery um, opening July 29th. 
Awesome. Can't yeah. wait for that. Cannot wait for that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Karina Sephora, uh, blacksmith, sculptor, uh, painter, um, above all, artist. Thank you for your time. Yeah, thank you.